Wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, and we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, first, I want a public service announcement. So since Nick is traveling for the, um, what is it you do again? You know, you wrangle aliens or something? Yeah, from the Whoa. Boat. Yeah, yeah. So because, <laughs> because they have him um, wrestling E.T. Uh, on the moon base, he is not in the same room with Stabby. So he does not have to worry about getting cut today. So he can speak his I mind freely. Nah, so just, so... I'll have like cut demerits, and then when I get home, I gotta cash them in, and she's just gonna stab me multiple. <laughs> My cousin's just down the road. Oh, oh, she's gonna call an audible with her family. Okay. Oh crap! The first Don't time we met her, James. Her, the first time we met her, James. Uh, we had talked longer than we thought we would, so he let the Italian food she made go cold, and she was with a knife, and she was just threatening to gut him. I'm just. She he had crazy, no man. It was bad. <laughs> back that's a terrible thing to do you're not supposed to be on her side no i'm definitely on her side jeez seven stitches later i gotta find meal out of it i think it'll oh work. there we go yeah <laughs> all right homemade sicilian meatballs oh my goodness homemade. it gets even worse is is a sicilian meatball different than any other kind of meatball oh, of course yes. what are you crazy apparently all right so uh you effing stupid <laughs> so, so James, uh, for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? I'll keep it shorter than an hour and a half, okay? So we appreciate I, that. I started work at TSR in 1974. Um, Gary gave me a lot of good jobs. I've done deities and demigods and gods, demigods, and heroes. I did the first um, science fiction role-playing game in Metamorphosis Alpha and the first apocalyptic game in Gamma World. And I've been writing ever since. And now JR has foolishly offered to be my partner in a couple novels that we're putting together. And that's me. Should be fun. Uh, everyone that's heard the premise liked it. So we are on book two in two different series because, you know, who can commit to just one? Yeah, exactly. Outstanding. So uh, next, uh, last button. Wow, well, wait, no, no, no. Next, we've got Jana S. Brown, who sometimes moonlights as her other personality, Jenna Ray. It, it's true. I, I'm, I'm, you know, multiple personality, and so am I. Got to have them both in there. Um, Jana S. Brown or Jenna Ray. Uh, Jenna Ray is my pen name for all things science fiction, fantasy, urban fantasy, and the go bump in the night. Um, I am a independent publisher with. The 17 books out. My 17th book went out today. Well done. It's my birthday and I put out a book. Yay! Um, happy birthday. And and I'm just happy to be here. We're, we're talking about one of my favorite, favorite subjects. Outstanding. Next, we have Mr. Paul Sparks, who just went uber nerd before the show started. So we had to give him a sedative, calm him down a little bit. But he's, he's here. He's ready. We gave him a thousand of Thorazine. He should be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not drilling on himself. Yeah, I had to take a B-52. <laughs> All right, so introduce yourself. I'm uh, Paul Sparks. I'm a new author. I've got a few short stories out in, in a few different anthologies set in uh, William Allen Webb's uh, The Last Brigade universe. Uh, Standing Fast, Standing Defiant, and Standing Free are the three anthologies. 
I'm currently working on various uh, projects right now, and I just keep flipping between whatever the muse starts talking to me. So I've got like three or four started but unfinished projects going on right now. Outstanding. So next we have the lovely Miss Terry K. Job. Hi. Spirit oh, figures. Oh, always. I danced for 15 years when I was a kid. It's kind of automatic. Yeah, I'm Terry K. Job. I am uh, the uh, audiobook narrator for JF Posthumous uh, with the Lady of Death series through Three Ravens Publishing. We've got a couple books in the editing phase there as well, as well as an anthology. So you'll see me in print in the future. Ooh, spirit fingers again. Yeah, there we go. All right. So as a narrator and a writer, do you narrate your own books? I'm going to Ooh. as soon as they get edited. <laughs> so that means at least you know everything's pronounced correctly. Yes. Hopefully. In theory. Everything is so fun. <laughs> I so, believe it. All right. So the next part of this introduction is how we first met them. So um, the first time I met James, ironically, he killed me. Uh, and everyone else I met through uh, Three Ravens. Um, James says he doesn't kill players. Players kill players. But I'm pretty sure he was the one rolling the dice. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I definitely think that players kill players. <laughs> I mean, so I charged off on my own. Who would have happened to anybody? Did you uh, irritate? Um, oh, there she goes. She's back again. Good. You were missed. Sorry, there's a bunch of kids outside, and I just had to go and scare them by setting off my car alarm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, all right. And oh, since uh, since we're, we're going to have James on for an episode that's going to air before this, he gets a, the pass on the religion question this time, and we're going to dive right in. It was actually James that inspired this, uh, this episode because one of the series him and I are working on uh, as a palate cleanser involves King Arthur themes. So if you if you read the title of the episode, King Arthur Excalibur, A Night Sitting in Circles, you kind of figured out what we're here to talk about. So we're going to start with uh, what everyone's first memory of King Arthur was, where you guys like heard it first. Anybody can jump in at any time. <laughs> and wait for it, wait for it. James, how did you first find King Arthur? Okay. Uh, it was in uh, Mr. Wainer's English class in my senior year of high school. And he had us read the, the main King Arthur legend. And I remember I almost cried when uh, Guinevere did her thing with Lancelot. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has problems. Yeah, loyalty was not her strong suit. Definitely no. was not. I don't know why they added that in. That, that, I don't know. It's just we, we might circle back to that. So, Jana, how did you first find your favorite topic, King Arthur? Um, okay, so my very first was Disney's Sword in the Stone. So that came out in 63, and I think I saw it in about 80 when, when I was only just four or five, just a tiny little sprog, and it was the, the Merlin, the hickledy pickledy little, and that stuck with me first, which led to stories later. And then my next one was uh, Mark Twain, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. Good book. And then it all went from there. So I've read Lamort and I've read lots and lots of other things since that point. It's just, it's such a great story. Okay. What about you, Terry? 
I actually have to agree with the Sword in the Stone movie. Solid movie. Love it. Uh, my mother also happened to love the book The Once and Future King. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I forget how old I was, but we went to like a local production of Camelot. Oh. Time, and I loved listening to that soundtrack with the original Broadway cast. Uh, just a very good production. And just reading various things here and there uh, that just add into that. Okay. What about you, Paul? How did you discover uh, Camelot and King Arthur? Paul, you got to unmute. <laughs> He's Sorry. First was Sword in the Stone, and then the best movie ever about King Arthur, Monty Python and the whole uh, quest for the whole Oh Earth. my God. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, Stabby, you were getting all excited. So you get to answer this question too. Okay. So my first time ever learning about King Arthur and everybody's going to make fun of me for this. I was actually at Disneyland. <laughs> okay. I got in line to try to pull the sword out of the stone. <laughs> Not having any clue what the story was behind it, and a cast Why member <laughs> cast member uh, sat there and explained the whole story to me, and I just kind of fell in love with it after that. But I mean, you can't go wrong with Monty Python. You can. All right, what about you, Nick? Uh the first memory that comes to mind was um, I was probably around seven or eight. I was really into like knights and horses and chivalry and that type of stuff. As you do. I don't know what got me into that, but what solidified my love for King Arthur, the fact that I created a whole comic book universe around him, um, was the movie Excalibur. Okay. Good movie. The way it was, you know, uh, everything was so shiny and it felt fantasy the way it was filmed. And then the musical score was, oh my God. First time I remember getting goosebumps. Dun dun dun, dun. You know, when he's bringing out the mist with the dragon. It's just, holy crap. It's inspiring. Like, it, it was on my workout playlist for a while. Like, the whole score. Dun dun. And I'm like doing deadlifts, and, you know. Oh, so that's what got me hooked. Um, and then I read uh, Mark Day Arthur. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I read that. That solidified it. That's where I fell in love with my main man, Percival. Um, I thought he was cool. And I thought he went through the most shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, he, he's like the Job figure from the Bible, but in like the Arthurian legend, I was just like, man, this guy went through some crap, dude. So I the think balls on this kid. <laughs> I, I didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. Just you know, it was, I would rather be outside playing in the dirt than sitting in front of a box with lights. Uh, so for me, it was Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, but it was the Reader's Digest version, you know, because I was uh, my sisters were in Girl Scouts, and so the tag-along, I was bored. So they were constantly shoving, like, uh, Reader's Digest. That's how I fell in love with short content. And so I read the, the short – the, uh, the was the Reader's Digest version. Yeah. That's another, that's another show. And so that's where I found Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court – um, and then there were obviously, then we watched Sword in the Stone at some point. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of um Arthurian themes throughout a lot of fantasy stuff in general. If I remember correctly, wasn't D D originally based on a taking 
uh, miniature wargaming, James, and incorporating like King Arthur stuff. That's exactly right. Dave Arneson had Gary Gygax up to his house, and Dave decided that it would be a good idea if every one of the players had a single knight, and he gave them what the knight wanted to do. And that inspired the the three pages that turned into the, the three D&D booklets. Was there any whiskey involved, James? I'm positive there was. He was a scotch drinker. <laughs> I call that the Hemingway approach to creativity. I mean, James is a good boy. He was just drinking water, of course. Yeah, I don't, I don't do liquor actually. <laughs> My so, brain is foggy enough as it is without editing. He, he was having a nice tea. Yeah, yeah, it's just not from Long Island. Um, so yeah, for me, it was, it was definitely that there were there were a lot of themes to speak to a young boy in the King Arthur story. Um, you know, loyalty, honor, duty, like all the, all the sort of grand themes you want. A young man to learn so it's definitely and it gives a reason to swing sticks at each other which is always good always good well and when so. it comes to excalibur i mean I, you saw helen helen miriam's boobs for the first time so yeah well, i forgot that was in that movie you're right yeah that's when that's my mother it. turned that movie off and went, this was not what I thought it was. Thanks. So it was uh, King Arthur was actually the inspiration for, so I was uh, invited to write for a anthology in the after universe, which is an RPG, the RPG funded on crowd, whatever Kickstarter, I guess, but they ended up not reaching the write the short story. I was new enough. I didn't know that you don't write it before they get funded for that part. So I wrote the story and had nothing to do with it. Uh, and they, they graciously allowed me to publish it in their universe as is. So it's in my Monster Within anthology. But uh, the editor said it was King Arthur meets Columbine. Oh, this is the version of my story. Oh, um, that's interesting. So, <laughs> right? Shut up and take your money already. I know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've, the Pendragon family has just always fascinated me. Um, and it has everything. It's like a telenueva all wrapped up into one. It's got love, betrayal, you know, fight for honor. So there's also a very big pagan aspect into it that later came in from it due to Morgana and Merlin and Beltane and all that other stuff. Yeah. Okay. So as we, as we talk about this, there is some speculation that King Arthur is either a, he's just completely made up and he's just, a um, a stand-in for moral morality they want to teach, or others will say, "Well, it was uh, based on this person or that." Do you guys have any opinions on whether it's based on a real person or just? Um, there is good mortal? historical evidence that it was a real person, and they called him Arthur because the rank in Latin for captain was Arturius. Mm -hmm. and yeah, so I'm pretty positive he was a Roman legionnaire. Yeah, and a badass one from what the you know, what the historians say. Uh, and, so, and the Romans were dealing with the warlords in Wales at that time, the ones that, that had the warlord mounts and lots of stuff was going on there anyway. And so to bring a Roman centurion into the Welsh uh, warlords and mound lords that were going on, that, that fusion makes a whole lot of sense for where they started. Keep going, Nick. I, I yeah, interrupted. But, I didn't oh, mean dude, to. <laughs> they, uh, jump on my tailcoats because we're going places, everybody. Oh. So, the yeah, Welsh uh, people or the um, 
that historical figure was known for merging with the pagan tribes, the Celts, the Welsh, um, mm-hmm. a couple other ones. Uh, married a, I don't know if it was a Celt or a Welsh woman. Took it. It that goes back and forth, but it's supposed to be a, a, a Welsh woman. The the folks in Wales were fierce guys, and they were the only places that they stood up to the Romans when they first came through. Um, there, there's some heavy, the Cornavies and some of those kinds of things. The Romans showed up and other people were saying, okay, yeah, Rome's okay. And they're like, hell no, out, get rid of them, goodbye. And so they got burnt out and there's there's lots of, of history there. And there's the, the Druidic that was following. A lot of that plays into your Merlin legends and that kind of thing, because it was supposed to have had a Druidic advisor, which yeah. became Merlin in subsequent um stories so that there's really really solid ground for a historical figure that we've kind of lost to time um because americans were a a lot of us if we're from the u.s we think 200 years is a long time and and folks from europe think that 200 miles is a long ways and so we don't really have a good grasp of you know how long this has been and how easy it is to start losing the details to history but there's really strong evidence that he was there time in Wales, Cornwall, and then kind of moved throughout the Isles during that time. And then that's when most of the, the myths sprang from. I, I really uh, like the idea of a Roman longsword being Excalibur instead of like a medieval longsword. I guess the first, I, well, I, I did some research, and it looks like the first reference to Arthur was in like a Historia Britonum written by a Welsh monk yep. in like 830 A.D., yeah, they think it was probably fifth, sixth century, something like that, and then, then you get the, the monks in about eight hundred, and then it kind of explodes from there Jeff- because it, it was such good story that everybody told it and everybody bumped it up. It, it's why the knights went from in some versions there's twelve, and they're very obviously making a Christianity thing for Christ and the twelve apostles, yeah. and other versions give you up to one hundred and fifty knights of the round table so you can see the mythology start playing in and out depending on the audience they're playing into depending on what's going on historically at the time those stories were used for lots and lots of different things beyond entertainment he was a political figure very very often i wasn't he uh uh charlotte i think charles came after him i know it was arthur and then charlotte or was it charlemagne you mean Charlemagne, the French? Guy. Yeah, Charlemagne was up on the man. continent. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Right, never mind. I'm, he did have paladins, though. You're right about mm-hmm. that. But it looks like uh, Geoffrey of Monmouth is mm-hmm. when it really started to get big. Yeah, it. Um, I got too much history in my brain. I'm running out of hard drives. <laughs> 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 Uh, someone else carry on, man. I'm just, yeah. So the feel of death here in my brain. The funny thing is, is a little bit of uh, podcast lore for you, Nick. The uh, the only person that didn't start sending their hate mail to Stabby was this Welsh guy who sent me hate mail for saying I don't think Welsh is a real language. They just make that up to confuse the the like the non locals, and then they yes, go back to speaking English. normal. Oh, yeah, my. they just go back to speaking normal when we're not there. <laughs> I served so we, I got a, but it was it was in Welsh, so I had to translate it. But I'm still not convinced it's a real language. So it's not on Google Translate, therefore not real language. Right, right. So it, it is interesting um, how much you know 
how different the legend of King Arthur is when you start peeling back the layers. Like Merlin was added later. Morgana was added later. Um, you know, some of the iconic knights that we think of weren't in the original telling. So I do, I do find it fascinating how every generation sort of wants to claim part of that lore for themselves and add on top of it. Um, I don't know when the sword in the stone became the thing. Cause at one point in time, it was the lady in the lake that gave you the, the blade. That's how it yeah. started. The stone is after his Arthur's father, real father, uh, Uther jammed it into the stone. That's the legend. So that's how you get from the lake to the stone and eventually back to the lake. And you get the jokes about, you know, a lady with a sword in the, in the water is not a good that's way to determine a government. way to establish a form of government. <laughs> help, help, I'm being repressed. That's the power of the people. Help, help, I'm being repressed. Um, so so uh, I, I take it, James, you are not a fan of the Monty Python version. Heavens no. Oh, sacrilege, sir. Was, it's it's too, they're going for too many jokes. And the ending, come on. Thank you. Jeez. I couldn't believe it's a it. Cult they ran, classic. They ran out of money and they did the ending that way. So that was well. That's why they couldn't get horses. That's why they had to do the coconuts because the coconuts. Yeah, it was. I didn't like it at all. I I, I actually left the theater not even halfway through. Oh, that hurts my heart, sir. Uh, well, so, yeah. So that was it because someone told you your father was? Was that because someone told you your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberries? <laughs> oh, it was it was the bridge fight with the poor knight that lost his arms and legs and still wanted to battle. Really a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it became so so many iconic like one liners were stolen from that. Yeah. And, and isn't that like every D D player ever? I, I've still got a hit point. As long as Not I've got a hit point, I can keep fighting. And you're looking at it going theoretically with one oh hit God. point, you don't have much left to be swinging a, a two-handed claymore. And you yet. wound my heart. You wound my heart, young lady. <laughs> but it's true. One hit it's true. <laughs> I've got one hit point left. I can still fight. But you got so many negatives. I don't care. That's I've got one hit point. I got one hit point left. I want that XP. Well, luckily for everybody that's interested, we will be doing a panel. James is going to wrangle some of his old day, uh, old school TSR days uh, compatriots, and we'll, we'll talk about the origins of D&D and some of the way it's evolved over time. But uh, we're not here just to talk about that. We are specifically King Arthur. So um, at what point in time did, did we get Lancelot and Guinevere becoming a storyline? Was that – part of the original i don't actually know no that. that was actually brought by uh it was the start of what's called uh, i think it's medieval romance or something like that yeah uh, the French, the the yeah it, it, it's in the mort and that's i think where it was really popularized yeah about fourth century english romance sir Gawain and the green knight i know lancelot was added in the 12th century with the holy grail when they were I'm pretty sure it was turning... french romance yes I think he was played by Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert not, Gere at one point. He's not good looking enough to play Lancelot. Okay. Oh, that was okay. an unknown actor that didn't do anything else after. <laughs> so do you think that uh, there's any value of telling stories back to the roots? Or do you like the extra add-ons that people associate it with, like the Merlin, the Morgana, the Guinevere and the, and the well, Lancelot was 12th century, so I 
been around for a while, but well, that's what that's what folklore is, man. It's adding on through the generations. It's a uh, um, before we started writing crap down, it was all tales around the campfire, you know, tales of epic battles and epic heroes and thwarting evil and you I mean, know that kind of stuff. That's how so, the gods course, and goddess. Sorry, that's how the gods and goddesses were created from the from the Greek, the Romans, and all yeah. that stuff. Is it's just folklore, you know. And as well, the years the more people tell it, everyone's going to throw their little spin on there. Well, you plus know? the There's, whole adultery thing and and the love story. That I mean, it, it's just so romantic and and heartbreaking that I think it adds you know tons of of coolness to the legend. You know what it told me? The lesson I learned, and like as much as I've read the books and seen the movies and all that stuff, when I became like a uh, an adolescent going into a teenager into a uh, you know young adult, it was like chicks will ruin an empire. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mordred ruined the empire. I don't think the chick did it. Well, she well, didn't help. She didn't <laughs> help. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't say much for the institution of marriage then, if the heart wants But remember, that was also a very political situation. And so depending on how you read the references, the union between Arthur and Guinevere had a very, very political bent to it. Yes. Um, she, she was a lady. There, there was land that was up for stake, all that kind of thing. And again, you have to think historically of that time, the, the way that women were traded as far as marriage went. Marriage was an entirely different thing than romance. And, yeah. and we like to read that romance into there and say this was the first great love triangle, la, 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 la. But we don't think about what the politics were. We, we have yeah. no idea if she actually really loved him or if this was the political side. And Lancelot was the person that she fell in love with. Now, does that make it right? The, the, there's all sorts of arguments you can put there. But we do have to look at the lens through which the, the initial stories were crafted. And they were looking at what is chivalry and what is wrong and right. And are you allowed to love truly outside of a, a marital bond when so many marriages were based on politics? Well, at that time, I mean, um, a, a woman of noble birth and a, an aspiring noble man who wants to increase his wealth, you know, you do that through land. It's mm -hmm. the one thing they're not making anymore, you know. So, yeah, it totally makes sense on a political aspect. And I think a lot of two, a lot of people get it wrong and they call Guinevere a whore and Lancelot a backstabbing best friend. But it was absolutely a political marriage. It expanded Arthur's lands and therefore gave him more power. More people wanted to come to him where he could build his empire. Mm -hmm. so. And he was a lot older than she was too. If you, the, the, if you start piecing things together, it, it, it and that was also very, very common. Yeah, older like man and a young, right? yeah, she, she was like a teenager. She was 16, 17. And, and he, and he was, was yeah, well, he, I think he was probably early thirties in some of the best references that I've read. Yeah. So th there was a, a jump and it's why I like um, first night with Sean Connery for that. Cause they did show that, that he was much older and she was just a girl and Lancelot was kind of in that in-between age. Now that was not the best Arthurian anything, except it had Sean Connery in it playing Arthur and he will always get, he, he's he's my Bond. He's my Arthur. Arthur. He's my Sean Connery. He's my man. So, but but you could see 
where some of that comes in because there were age differences, there were political differences. There was a lot going on that got stirred up into this particular romance. Actually, you know, it's still a thing in Britain. All the British men like to marry younger British women. It's been a thing since King Arthur. Oh, an American man. I did the same thing. Oh, there we go. Well done. It's Ooh, okay. funny, which is funny because Jana called me the cradle rubber today, and I was like, Yeah, no, you got that backwards. <laughs> I knew it was Are backwards, but it was much funnier that way. You're bringing the beard not coming out on video. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. Your die is still holding strong, sir. My, my wisdom so, we're going to pause for a moment and we're going to shamelessly show for the man. And today, this episode, the man is James M. Ward, who is sponsoring us. Uh, with his Wolfoid collection, which is a collection of short stories. So, uh, James, sell us on this collection. Oh, okay. So, for the last 40 years, ridiculous people have been asking me to write short stories on their stuff. And so, I found myself, when I was talking to JR about other things, with a great big collection of short stories that I'd written. And I talked to him about maybe somewhere I could market them and good old JR come through again and help me to get it published. And basically it's from novels and short stories that I've written over 40 years. And uh, it's, it's a nice big book. You can get it on Amazon and, and uh, Bookapee. And uh, I, I'm really proud of it because I'm getting a lot of good reports from people who, who love it a lot. So, and that's not just people I give it to. <laughs> They like it when they pay for it too. Yeah, there we go. There we go. So it is. Um, it was published by Bayonet Books, but it was mostly because James didn't want to do the uh, formatting the book and all that. So we 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 tasked that out to my mother. We're like, hey, I'll I'll feed you tonight if you do this for him. <laughs> there it works. Yeah, I have no computer skills at all. My computer is so old it types in pencil, <laughs> quill and pen, quill and ink. There we go. Uh, he's not joking. When when I write with him, I have to convert back and forth from Word ninety seven. Oh, Seems like a good idea to me. It, it worked. He said, "If it if it ain't broke, don't fix it." Right? Exactly. Um, Baruch. So if it nobody tell him about. Uh, oh yeah, no, don't. don't I'm, I'm my computer already is like, are you kidding, bro? Every time I got to convert back and forth. So we've talked about sort of the history from a historical character perspective and the evolution of King Arthur as like the story evolved. And I do think this would be fun to revisit um, when we get maybe some actual historians to, to balance it out. But do you guys have a favorite depiction in film, uh, movie, game, whatever? Of the I King Arthur did story? <laughs> Obviously, really? I do. I like the um, the movie that they made uh, where they actually had him as the Roman legionnaire. Um, it came out. Oh, when did the, the movie King Arthur come out? Oh, it's early two thousand. And uh, it was nightly. Oh, four, I think. Yeah, uh, that's a yeah. It's because uh, the act. Oh, yes, yeah, Clive Owen, uh, Kira Knightley, and Stefan Delaney. Yeah, oh four. Um, yeah, somebody, somebody. I don't know who he is, but I knew who Kieran Knightley was, um, and that was a reason to watch it. But yeah, that was my favorite, mostly because it leaned into the the history of you know the idea that he was a, a Roman Briton. Um, so he had kind of that 
that tie to history. I mean, I think that's probably where the historical connection ended as far as the movie goes. It just sort of did its own thing. Um, but it's definitely, it was a, it's a thrilling movie. I liked that depiction of it. What about you, James? What, what was your favorite depiction um, that you've engaged in the King Arthur story from? Ooh, that's hard to tell because there's been so many good ones. Um, I, I think just to bring out the, the love interest, the Excalibur movie where <laughs> Excalibur is, is stabbed in the earth between Lancelot and Guinevere really kind of amazed me at, for how poignant and interesting it was. So I'm going to go with Excalibur plus the, the armor was really shiny. Yeah. Ooh, shiny. shiny. And your shiny knight has never had his metal tested. <laughs> They're not supposed to be shiny, but but it is pretty on a film. Yeah. But it looked great right. on film. I haven't actually seen that one, so I just made myself a note that that's going to be something I'll have to find and watch. Yeah, you'll have to. It's good. It's really good. It's been a long time, but yeah, I remember it being good. We could always make that a retro movie review. I mean, it's... Oh, don't threaten me with a good time, bro. Yeah. We'll get James back to talk about it because he loves the movie so much. There we go. Um, Although, you know, when when stuff that you grew up watching and they tell you it's not retro, no, then then you just got to kill people because... I was at a doctor's office the other day for my kid and, you know, stuff I was, uh, remember coming out when I was in high school was on the Muzak channel. I'm like, nope, I'm not here for this. Turn it off. <laughs> in the I, I, day, going back to my room, Motley Crue was playing in the elevator. Oh, oh, it hurts. You guys, you guys, I'm older than stone. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the Beatles man and Petulia Clark with downtown. That was the nice. first song I ever heard in seventh grade. Hey, so did you learn to hate Yoko Ono? No, no. I, I, she had her thing. It was good that they broke up. They had some better music afterwards. Okay. So my music tastes are all over the place, but I picked my 13-year-old up from school today, and the kids walking behind him said Metallica and NSYNC were old school. Oh. Oh. Hey. They don't even hey. belong in the same sentence. Ow. Oh, it, it, it makes my heart hurt. Yeah. I was like, step in front of my truck, please. Step in front of my truck. <laughs> yeah, it was an accident, but you backed up and ran over them again. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what about you, Terry? What is your favorite uh, depiction of the Arthur legend? Ooh. Favorite would probably ha- still have to be Sword in the Stone, but another really good one from back in the day that we haven't brought up yet uh, was the uh, TV miniseries Merlin. Oh, yeah. That was really good. Granted, it focused on Merlin, not King Arthur, but he was in there. He was in there. Merlin a bone. He, he went through a lot. Yes, yeah. he did. He really did. Merlin was the was based off, you think, the Druids? Was that, was that the kind of consensus when he was added? Yes, definitely druidic. Yeah, it was druidic power, and then that became wizards and and magic as that became a popular thing to to talk about. So it all got layered on in there. In certain texts, he was the father of Guinevere to murder the Romans. So, like, he was a big dude. He was a big deal in well, even from the beginning. Not only you know being the wizard, the the great and powerful magician, the guy that could call the dragon. Um, but in a historical text, he was like the religious and political leader of his tribe. So. And with Merlin, the whole hermetic, esoteric, like witchcraft and rituals 
were taken from a lot of what he did from the Druidic, and it was converted to more of the, as I said, the Crowley and the, the Gardarian. A lot of the more New Age stuff was based heavily on a lot of the early Merlin. So in a way, it was per, not perverted, but changed to fit towards modern or whatever was popular at the time. I think even Agrippa mentioned it in his treatise on uh, magic. So that's actually the the hard part with anything Druid related. There's a lot of New Age, Neo, Druid, Pagan LARPers out there. Yeah, come at me, bro. Because anybody that says they're actually practicing, we just don't know. The Romans were just too good at destroying every trace of them from the earth that we and because they were oral historians and they did things on like with wood and the fetishes and all the things they did. Um, I know that word has different connotations now, Nick. Don't don't give me the side eye. I didn't uh, hear said, man. My bad. Because because of how they passed their lore down, it was just too easy to destroy. And so there's just not a lot left <laughs> other than what, what the, they said. And, of, what the of the Romans, and what the Romans didn't destroy, the Holy Catholic Church got rid of the rest. All right, now we're fighting. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, you when you monk to the ones okay. who do the writing no. and the reading and the – if you don't have a literate population, then you can change it any way you want. You control the pen. Yeah. Well, the yeah. Romans are notorious for that. I mean, they, they did what Ramses II and just kind of carried on with it. You know, mm -hmm. oh, you invented this really cool thing? It'd be a shame if we took credit for it. It's Roman. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> And that's how they rolled. And that's how Ramsey II was. Like, he's, he was notorious for going to uh, all these holy places that they built, you know, obelisks and, and yeah. things like that. And just, like, it was medieval, not even medieval, it's just ancient tagging. You come up there with his little chisel and hammer, like, yeah. Ramsey II was here. Peace, you know? Any ruler that can make 99 kids is my kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying he didn't have a lot of hobbies. He just had the one. He just had the one. I was just going to sit over here and keep my mouth shut. I ain't got nothing to say. Don't you don't want 99 kids? I was raised Roman Catholic. So. Just Big families are the norm. And I was raised. I'm just. Like, the, like we would I'm have. I'm just sitting over here like. <laughs> we'd have like franchises all over the place if we were still fertile. I I'm, just, I'm so, just sitting so, over here like. Let's let's transition to from fertile bodies to fertile imaginations and ask: Has anybody ever? Whoa, actually wait, 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 wait! <laughs> you didn't ask me my favorite one. Yeah, you, you said you were one. sitting over there quiet, and so I thought you didn't have he one. He was talking about Roman Catholics. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I, thought, I had this perfect transition too, and you just stomped all over it like, "No, Jr., your transition stinks." Yeah, all right, so what was your favorite? Find out. <laughs> so, so um i do love all of the king arthur movies i love all the excalibur movies but i like when they take it and they kind of adapt it into a newer time frame and i was just talking about this with nick earlier i really enjoyed the sorcerer's apprentice that was oh, a really was nick, good was movie nick Realty. no nick Nick Cage. Oh, Cage. Nick Cage. Yeah, that was a wonderful movie. Oh my goodness! I come to think of it, if you threw that. Nick Nolte in there, it probably would have been more entertaining. <laughs> it was pretty good without him. The they scene with on... the Tesla coils. Yeah. Yes. 
and they touch on all parts of it so they touch on the king arthur side the arthurian side they touch on morgana they touch on balthazar they touch on merlin and you kind of get all of the things but in this more modern version and i was just having a good time with it and then he started making his card change and i was like yeah we're we're here for this <laughs> i'm pretty sure that merlin was like nikola tesla was merlin just in a later life i, mean, I believe that, that biggest series right now in urban fantasy has Merlin and that as the main thing, Dresden Files is heavily oh, yeah. influenced yeah. Great by show. Arthurian. Great show. Well, you have Merlin um, and the Knights in one of the Transformer movies. We were just talking about this a yeah. couple episodes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the last night. A shameless plug in the Lady of Death series by J.F. Posthumus, there it, Merlin's in there too. Nice. Same Merlin, just several hundred years later. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get a skincare routine. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we've talked about that, have anybody here, um, and I'll go last, but how many of you guys have worked Merlin or the King Arthur legends into your own writing? We're gonna let the guests go first, Nick, because I know. I yeah, know but I still need. I felt I need to throw my hand up. Okay, you threw your hands up. I haven't talked about that part of my comic book business yet. All right, so we'll start with you then, Terry. Have you incorporated it into any of your own personal storytelling? Not yet, though. There's still it'll time. Probably get thrown in there somewhere. Probably. Ooh. Okay. You need okay. to do this when you when you do that voice when you're <laughs> somewhere. somewhere. Oh yes. <laughs> Okay. What about you, Jana? Have you incorporated any of that? Oh, yes. I'm. I'm. I'm going to be part of Nick's project, which I will not steal his thunder and let him do all, all the talking about that. <laughs> and I know, I know, and I have a whole thing to to send to you later because it's really exciting. Um, but no, I have a urban fantasy coming out probably next year that that has some heavy play with bringing um bring, bringing Arthur and the knights into the modern world. So, yes, it, it's really fun, and that will be good. Okay. Later. Later. We'll talk about it later. It's coming. <gasps> All right. So we're going to come back to you, Nick. But, Paul, because we're being polite to our guests, have you incorporated any King Arthur into your stories yet? Not yet, but thanks to Jana, I am currently <laughs> working on a idea King Arthur zombie hunter because I've didn't use proper punctuation in a reply to a comment and she's like you should write that i was like son of a bitch okay <laughs> so i'm sort of playing oh, no. around but that idea in my head other ideas. Oh, no. <laughs> so, not yet but it's going to if i can get this uh idea to come out and it's it is going to be a modern day urban fantasy i think i might have a little bit of the kingsman aspects uh, into it maybe a little bit gi joe stuff like that um king arthur and his knights fighting against morgana and her legions of undead or something like that okay all right so james i know the answer for you what it's going to be so we're going to we're going to let nick because he ties in with Jana, and then i'll come to you so nick tell me about this king arthur project Okay, so it was one of the earliest characters that I created. It's like when I was really into like the King Arthur legend. Like I was obsessed with it. it was no, it wasn't embarrassing. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> but uh, so I, I created this character 
uh, originally he was called the British Knight. And he was a distant relative of King Arthur. And I know for some of you historians, like, yeah, well, the Lord says he had two sons, but they died in battle. Well, in this world, he didn't. They didn't. He had two sons. They lived and procreated and created the Pendragon franchise, you know. And it. I also was in the Highlander at the time. That could so, be only one. Yeah, so um, the last descendant of Mordred um, decided he had learned that when he killed a Pendragon, that his power increased. Well, the Pendragon line went as far as the British Empire. So you had Indian Pendragons, which I drew some awesome character concepts. Um, loved it. And, uh, but in the Apogee universe, uh, King Arthur was part alien. <laughs> okay. He was part alien. He was like, like one drop of blood by the time it got to, to Arthur Pendragon. Um, but it was enough to power the metal that was his father's armor. Because it was alien metal and it only reacted to um, people of that species. So get to modern day, you have um, you have the new Pendragon. So the title of the book was called The Last Pendragon. And it's a, I don't know if I should spoil it, but... There's a head fake in there where who you think is the main protagonist is not the main protagonist. He's in it for a while and then he gets mortally wounded and has to go to Avalon to recharge. Well, because he's part alien, it could take forever and he ain't going to age a day. He's just going to come back and not know the world he's in. So he passed his power on to a, uh, you know, a very rich, affluent party girl within the, you know, uh, British royal family, but so far down the line that she's never going to be queen or a princess or anything like that. So she's just spoiled a little rich back with a truck fun. And so, what, <laughs> so you got this power of great responsibility as like essentially the British Superman. And that power is put on to a party girl that's never done responsibility a day in her life. And I modeled her, her look, not the personality, well, some of the personality, but after wow. stabbing her. so okay. she has she has the haircut she's got the piercings the tattoos because she's never this person who's not my wife stabbing her. <laughs> has never known responsibility unlike my you know actual stabby who's known a lot of responsibility her whole life so i flip that on it's too much well if you okay. I can find another muse if you want i, I mean i don't want to i kind of like the one i got there's so, too much responsibility all the time. My my so story with, with the Monsters Within was actually just called The Pendragon Brothers. Um, and I don't know how to tell you a summary of it because it's a short story anyway without giving away too much. So instead, yeah. I, I will say that I, I dig the lore and it was fun to read through some of that to, to create with. Uh, and then James has this brilliant idea. But before we talk about that one, James, have you used it previ previous to the um, the Wizard Ascending series? Oh, yeah, of course I have. In my first uh, version of this, um, there were seven sons of the grandson of King Arthur. And they kind of protect their little realm, and their little realm gets overrun by um, barbaric Huns. Oh, nice. And so they have to defend it. And each one, each one has their own kind of like extra power, you know, strength, intelligence, wisdom, um, that kind of thing. And uh, it was about, I want to say it was about a, 
a 90,000 word sword story, if you can believe that. <laughs> wow. All right, Brandon Sanderson. Take that. I, I mean, I get that. I've never met a short story I couldn't turn into a series. So there's mm -hmm. just more ideas than there is time. Yeah. I know, um, JR. I have to buy them and read them. <laughs> so other than that story, the, the short story in air quotes, were there, were there any other times you incorporated the lore? Well, yeah. I mean, I do roundtable stuff all the time because it's fun to do in role-playing. Right. And, Lancelot is missing. What are we going to do about that, guys? You know, it's just kind of that's really perfect step-ins because everybody knows about King Arthur and the Round Table. It's perfect step-ins in the beginning of role-playing adventures. Do you ever invert that and turn King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table into the bad guys or never, tell it from the other perspective? Ever. My heart would break if I did that. Okay. So you're a little bit of a purist when it comes to the story. It's bad enough that... Lancelot fought his son to steal Guinevere from the fire pile. Just There's a moment. There's just, just, we get a moment of silence for, for poor Lancelot, and then uh, <laughs> now we'll, we'll continue. So tell me about the Wizard Ascending series that you're writing. I've happened to have read the first draft, and it's freaking yeah. us. Funny that we're writing, young man. He sent me the first 40 pages, and he goes, what do you think? And I'm like, oh, shit, I was supposed to be taking notes because was, I was already sucked in. JR, not? you got young manned. I, I, I just want to point this out because it's hysterical. You I know, it feels good. Completely served. It's great. I've got nose hairs older than JR. History Channel, and they had something about World War One. and my son just looks at me and he goes, Daddy, did you know that guy? And I'm like, that was 100 years before I was in the Army, kid. Exactly how old do you think I am? Yeah, really? Caden did that to me the other day. I was watching Frankenstein, and he goes, Mom, when you were growing up, was there color in the world? <laughs> Ouch. Oh, there we go. The, the, the TV was not in color back then. Like, we, we were in color. The <laughs> okay. So, so you know, now that I feel feel not quite as old, I needed that, James. Thank you. Uh, so, so you came up with the idea, though. So, so how did you decide to incorporate this into a story in the way that you did? Okay, so I'll try to keep this very short, but it won't be. So here we go. <laughs> a young man in college gets pulled into another world and gets given a magical tower, and he must become a wizard. He's not given a choice. And so... He's in the town of Crimson Hawk. That's my trademark campaign world. And in Crimson Hawk at the top of the hill is Camelot with King Arthur and all the Knights of the Round Table and Guinevere. Okay, so the story goes on and he deals with King Arthur every once in a while. And finally he meets Lancelot. Lancelot isn't a Knight of the Round Table yet, but he says to himself, oh no, Lancelot's going to meet Guinevere and table round is going to be destroyed. We can't have that happening. So, so my main character and all his allies decide to keep Lancelot away from Guinevere at all costs. And so there's a bunch of different scenarios where they could meet, but they make sure they don't meet. And Lancelot just doesn't get it. 
why why can't I see Guinevere? And the, you know, he refuses to tell him. He told the story to his other friends. Well, you know, they they fell in love and it couldn't be helped, and the round table was destroyed. Um, so they all are in with it with him on keeping it away. And so now, uh, that was book one. In book two, now we delve into more of Guinevere accidentally maybe meeting Lancelot, and bad things will happen, but. We're going to try to avoid that if we can. And, and with James, that means bad things will happen because he's yeah. just not so nice to his characters. Um, yeah. Have you seen Wreck-It Ralph, Nick? Oh, yeah. Where they have the therapy question, the, the therapy group for all the villains. Like, there's actually a group like that that exists for all the poor characters that James has tortured over the years. <laughs> just because you're just bad, because guy, you're bad guy. guy doesn't mean you're bad guy. Thank you. I was trying to remember how that quote started. <laughs> Thanks, Satan. Uh, there's actually, you'll get a kick out of this sometime later in season three. Uh, it's on the schedule. Uh, we haven't got it out yet. We are going to do a topic, a panel topic on the origin of a villain that was inspired by that scene in Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> and you know what sometime maybe next summer if you'd like i'd be happy to run a game here on the podcast Ooh, sure how many guys fun. <laughs> all of them you need all, all of them made, like hundreds of systems Good, because so. i own all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so are there actually any merlin and king arthur inspired dice now we have to look for research uh, purposes. i don't think yeah. i've been yeah. 20 minutes she'll find it yeah, she is a probably. I mean, what are what would Arthurian dice look like? I mean, he does he does have the three lions rampart. I suppose you mm -hmm. could uh, you could make that as a twenty side designs, maybe some gold, or maybe like just the theme of the uh, it's like uh, acrylic plastic with the uh, little sword in, in a stone inside the you middle could of do the, the dice. sword in the middle. That would be awesome. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah, talking about the sword in stone. This is Excalibur Casino, which is the one I always go to when I go to Las Vegas, has a beautiful sword in the stone, and I've never been able to pull it out. It must mean I'm not worthy. I took a Nobody hammer to does. it, I got arrested. <laughs> so, fun fact, my grandmother actually worked at the Excalibur for oh, like nice. 20 years. Uh, that's actually where I was also introduced to uh, Batman, actually. Michael Keaton as nice. Batman, and I got to take a picture with this car, but that's a story for a different day. But nobody can pull that sword from that stone. Nobody ever. Nobody. They're, they're they're making it seem like you can and you can't. Nobody. I'm gonna have to do those guys. Nobody so, has. That for story. the record, Florida has their own version of the sword in the stone. <laughs> Whoever pulls that machete out of his head becomes king. Of yeah, there's a. For those of you listening and not watching, there's a, there's an alligator that roams Florida with a machete buried into its skull. Actually, it's probably a steak knife, but you know, yeah, if you can pull it out, you could be the king of Florida. Wow. Wow. Saber in the gator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's missing from that picture. There should be a raccoon riding on top of his head trying to pull the dagger out. That'd be awesome. That would be the most Florida thing that I have ever floated. Well, no, see, that's perfect because because the alligator's in the water, it's also the Florida lady version the of the lady in the lake. The lady in the lake. Oh, so you've got God. both things going on there. Oh, Sweet. James, would you would you uh, see uh, King Arthur in comedic, or, or is that sacrilegious for you? That's sacrilegious for me. I'm sorry. He's 
He's the noble honor archetype, and he's not funny. He sings really well, but he's not funny. He can sing real well, but he can't be funny. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, since you write some of the romance stuff um, as is Jenna and some of your other pen names, have you ever seen where? I mean, I've seen King Arthur in a lot of stories, but has he ever been like the love story told uh, in a modern, like sort of paranormal setting? Has that been done yet? Oh, all the time. You, you see. I mean, even uh, comics. There was Camelot three thousand. Yeah, Camelot three thousand, which kicks you forward, and they hit the love story there. Um, there's several of them that have reborn King Arthur's because that's part of the legend. One of one of the biggest. Uh, hinge points on the legend is that he'll return, that that he, he was laid to rest somewhere under a hill in Britain. Some people argue Cornwall, some people argue Wales, but that when the world needs him, when the empire needs him, when Britain needs him, he'll come back someday. And and so there's this whole resurrection thing going on there. And so you see that in a lot of modern stuff where people pull it up and say, yeah, here's, here's the... Uh, Oh, what was the name of it? There's one where he's in New York. I mean, most of the major cities, for whatever reason, we, we grab him and we transport him over here from, from the aisle. Sorry about that, Britain. But we keep stealing him because he's such a great character, and he does show up very often. In we romance. didn't steal it. We conquered it. Exactly. We <laughs> but yes, yes, you do see it in romance a lot, and I've seen Lancelot, and I've seen Guinevere again, that, that re... So there's some of them where they're reborn, or it's spirits that take over those bodies. And I've even seen it gender bent, which I'm sure that, that James would probably not be. Camelot, no, no, Camelot 3000 did a lot of that. King Arthur was it, female. It did. He was in female. That comic. Yeah. He, he, she. So, yeah, so they've, I've seen a lot of it because it is such kind of a classic romance story about, you know, the, the love triangle, the where does that lead? What what happens when you've got somebody breaking the, bro the, the, the dude code? You can't fall in love with your your king's wife. That's terrible. Is and yes, we see it a lot. Not as much as he should be. Because Personal he was like the noblest of of the Round Table. That's why he got sent to go find the Holy Grail. To go find the Holy Grail. Yeah. So you see him occasionally. I don't. I don't think he gets enough screen time. I think people. I get, agree with you. Huge pussy yeah. fan. And, and then he gets confused with Galahad and they have all the arguments over, you know, whether Percy and Galahad both found the grail together or whether it was only one or the other or whether they were actually the same person with two different names. Yeah. Um, because historic, well, according to the stories, Galahad found it and took a drink, died immediately and was taken to heaven, was, was given the rapture. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, Percival was so pure that he went off and he, he, found the grail and then we don't know what happened to him because after the after he finds the grail it, it's all mystery as to what happens next which i think that's a really good place right there to yoink him forward and use him as a lead in an, in an urban fantasy or in something more modern because it's the okay so he touched the grail and then what happens so does yeah, where that story ended is everyone in the legend come forward or just king arthur or I mean, I knew King Arthur would come back that resurrection, but I don't know if it applied to the other people in his round table and I don't know if it applied to like Guinevere. Not that I knew of. I think it was just um, King Arthur. It, he, he was the, the only one foretold, but a lot of people, it's it, it's easy to pull the others too because you have immediate character recognition. And people right. have read the legends and they see, well, it, it's like, um, like you were just saying, 
of, uh, like uh, James was saying, excuse me, trying to keep them from meeting Guinevere because you know bad things are going to happen there. Well, your audience knows that code, even though it's in your own story world, because they already know the story. So anytime that you see, we're going to bring King Arthur forward, and now we're going to call him Artie Smith, and he meets somebody named Gwen. Everybody who knows the ancient story goes, no, this is going to be bad. Because <laughs> this is already imprinted on that first folklore. Yeah, so, you can use that to head fake the audience. Exactly. And that's where it gets really fun is where you go, uh, or not. We'll, we'll, we'll just we'll mess with that. Yeah, Meg Cabot did a version of that. She wrote um, Avalon right. High, mm -hmm. uh, which was pretty good. And that had that same trope of, okay, you have these three big names that always show up, but we've never had this one show up before, and that's what makes all the difference. I yeah. know she's probably got a lot of negative, which she should, but one of the earliest things that really introduced a lot of people to King Arthur was Marion Zimmer Bradley's Mists of Avalon. Avalon. I mean, that was a good book. I think I've read that years ago, but it's been a while. It's it, it's it a good book. It's solid. Its art yeah. is definitely on the cover. Is definitely a product of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love it wow. when authors disrupt the apple cart like that. Yeah, you know, it just because you think you're going into a story that you know that you can kind of like, oh, I know where this is going, and they, I'm like, oh crap, I did, I didn't see that coming at all. I like yeah, this. Kind of a duty of the author, isn't it? Yeah, I, I believe it is um, to take a common story um, and lead it to a point where you think the reader, the audience is like, OK, I, I kind of know where this is going on. And then you, like, you know, use that term again, disrupt the apple cart. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's like, what? Oh, my God, this is the greatest thing ever, because I've I've done I've had that reaction in movies and books. And I'm like, what did you do? You know, mm -hmm. I remember oh, I reading a Marvel comic based on Arthur. They actually had a full run with on earth 616 with arthur with the black knight going to be lancelot and so on i mean I, I think it was pretty popular i think it was an excalibur book i believe so yeah with the x-men yeah so 2019 to 2021 for those of you that are actually watching if you look at the screen you will see the uh, the original cover for the mists of avalon by marion zimmer bradley uh i haven't read it in the long that might have to go on my um Older books to reread. I, um, but that is I gotta buy that. I lost my copy over. Is that, that Newberry, is that a Newberry Award I'm seeing on that book cover? Newberry? It can't be Newberry. It can't be? No. With some of the content. New York Times. Yeah. New York Times. yeah. Give it some of the content that wouldn't qualify for Newberry. The only thing left on my bucket list is a Newberry Award. I gotta win one before I croak. Okay, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Yeah, right. Um, so I know, Paul, you're getting ready to bounce. Your your contacts will be in the show notes. We appreciate you you coming on and, and hawking your wares. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah we, we tend to run long on these, and that is okay. But uh, 5 a.m. comes really early. It does. It does. So um, first, let me tell you, for those that were wondering, uh, Stabby did find uh, King Arthur Dice. Um, so really? they do exist. Um, I, she did, okay, let me see if I can get them on the screen. Um, Nick, talk while I while I get these onto the screen so we can show them. All right, so King they Arthur, Bull, and Morgan walk into a bar. Oh no! <laughs> uh -oh. They think that I'm in the FBI. So 
You tell me to find something, I'll find it. Yep, that, that's true. <laughs> this goes to show how that. much I like her, Arthur. I named one of my cats Mortar. He's a black cat. Nice. Love it. That doesn't that's show so how much you like King Arthur. That shows how much you like the evil son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing good about Mordred I've ever read. No, no, not at all. The dark side has cookies. That's oh, yeah. Exactly. To be I fair, Mordred's song from Camelot was the first one I memorized on that whole album. Oh, really? Yeah, Seven Deadly Sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catchy. I think if- I think if I I've never heard it, but I'll take the word for it. All right, they are small pictures, but pure knight, uh, King Arthur oh, dies. There you go. Dad, well done. Good find. Oh, she found more. These That's are the Merlin dice. It's got something on the inside you can barely see in this picture. The marketing team of whatever company made these really needs to do a better job with their graphics. There's, yeah, they, there's metal dice with the uh, pin dragon theme. I don't know if you can see it on the top middle. There's that little uh, pin dragon on the metal Yeah, the dragon. little dragon. Yeah, you roll that on a wooden table and your wife divorces you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why and they then, have dice mats now is so yeah, that you roll yeah, dice, dice mat. mat. This one, the metal dice have all kinds of sword and stone and um, pin dragon motifs as well. Nice. Uh, then these ones, um, I'm not sure what these are That's on the inside. To me. But I think they'll light up. Okay. Those were the Merlin uh, resin ones. Yeah, All right. Those are those crystal dice. Those are the caltrops that if you step on those things, they're just yeah. like Legos. They'll go right through your foot. Oh, this is the worst than Legos. So many sharp points. Oh, yeah. Especially those D4s. That, that'll just... Oh, yeah. So I actually, I found those all on um, on Etsy. Okay. Well done. Well done. Good job. Take that, FBI. Um, so... We've talked about how we've used them in the story. Do you have? Does anybody have plans in the future? Um, Paul's already answered this one about actually doing more with the King Arthur legend. I'm working with Jenna right now, and uh, yep. we're going to get the last Pen Dragon going. I got a sneak peek because she accidentally sent me what she meant to send you because she got so excited. <laughs> I screwed up. It was funny. I'm like, I'm like, who is this guy, and why are you telling me about him? And she's like, oops. And now, of course. When she said it was an accidental sin, then of course you want to know more because you're not supposed to know more. That's how that was. <laughs> you know, JR, Nick, they sound the same. I get it. <laughs> yes, what about well, you, one of those guys. One of those podcast guys. <laughs> well, maybe having a. In our discussions here, I have an anthology that I need to start. So I'm in the initial jot down some ideas, I'll let it stew in the brain cauldron for a while. It's, it's, it's a. The a premise thing. is a fairy war. So what if that fairy war is going on because, you know, Morgan and Arthur are going at it? And this is just the fallout of that. So you you figured the fae would have more of an appearance in the Arthur, Arthurian legend. I'll Good make thing. the argument oh, yeah. copy. What's that, Not James? I said, I'll make JR give me a free copy of that book. Nice. <laughs> uh, I'll acquire one for you. I can tactically yeah, acquire it. He'll give you the free one, and then he'll charge me for it. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, he, he shouts something about capitalism or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about you, Jana? Are you got any in the future besides the comic you're working on? Well, now that we talked about, you know, what happens to Percival after the Grail, I think I have a new series in mind oh, because okay. I like the idea of bringing him forward and doing an urban fantasy around what what happens after that point. That would be a great. 
that would be really awesome. So, because like Nick says, Percival is one of my very favorites. He goes through a lot. He loses a lot. And, and he shows up in a whole bunch of, bunch of different versions. So there's lots of great background to pick and choose from. Yeah. Because, you know, in some places, he, he's younger than a lot of the other knights. And so in some places, Lancelot is his mentor. In other places, he's somebody important son. And then he's just a nobody that's that's then moves through the ranks and so he's got a lot of interesting background going on so i i think i may have to bring him in and, and take him urban fantasy see, see what he can do with 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 magic now that'll be fun have you have you created king arthur games or was it just you know incorporating them into like one-offs in the D D world James? it was just one-off adventures um the chaosium did it was chaosium yeah did pendragon and it was just a wonderful set of rules mm. Have you written any any set of rules with that in mind, or any themes um, in your existing worlds? Everything, I, everything I do is AD and D one E. That's the one I memorize, so that's the one I I model my game after. It's just I know what to write, so I don't get sued into the Stone Age by Wizards of the Coast. Ugh, those guys. Yeah, unlike them, you still put your books in print. So yay you. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> So, with the uh, with the series, the Wizard Ascending series that you are working on, that is very King Arthur, uh, that into an actual sort of King Arthur inspired RPG setting. Well, it won't be a King Arthur inspired setting, but you and I are going to do a fantasy role playing setting in the in the beginning of every chapter of this book that Jr. and I are writing. I put a character or a monster stats. And so we're going to use all of those stats. We got 26 chapters. So we're going to use 26 chapters. My monsters and characters are already written for me. So I won't have to do any of that heavy lifting. Okay. That would be fun. That does sound fun. And uh, there you go. You get a free copy. What's the sense of having friends if you don't use them? Absolutely. We could beta test it for you, you know, for science. Yeah, there we go. All right, so advertising. Yeah, and and it's just fun. Um, and and you haven't lived until you can say James M. Ward killed you in a game, like that's. I have a terrible reputation of killing characters, and like I say, I don't kill characters. Players kill characters. (laughs) And he says that, but when he plays his own characters, when he's not the dungeon master, he is the most like. Leroy Jenkins player you'll ever meet. He is chaos. <laughs> I am chaotic neutral. That's very true. We've established that over the years. He uh so yeah, who knows? The cool thing is, is um, have you died a lot in your games? I know um Sparky's very proud of the fact that he killed you in a game. I know. Um, <laughs> I hardly ever die in games. Hardly ever. Okay, okay. All right, so. Uh, if you, dear listener, because we're, we're reaching the hour, and I promised um, James I'd let him actually get some sleep tonight, um, and I wouldn't keep him up all night. Uh, so, dear listener, if you've got a favorite King Arthur sort of um, addition to the lore, movie, game, book, whatever, be sure to put it in the um, <laughs> sure to put it in the comment section. If you've got more on this topic you want us to cover, you know, shoot that as well. We, you know, all of these original like season three topics we're doing are essentially scratching the surface and there's definitely more on any one of these where we could drill in deeper 
But the, the question is drilling where you want us to go. So you kind of have to reach out and tell us, hey, this is the part that's interesting. Let's see if we can make that happen. Um, so, oh, okay. So people have done Pendragon pinup art. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I've done well, okay, it's close. All right. I've got to... Uh, I've got to get that onto the show real quick. But while I'm doing that, uh, we're going to start with you, Terry. What are you working on at the moment? Uh, at the moment, I've been doing some more world building in this new series I'm hoping to write eventually. Uh, so hopefully that's going to come to fruition in the future. Ooh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys are getting a little too comfortable with that evil thing going on. Who said I'm not the evil twin? You don't have the goatee. Uh, I gotta shake. <laughs> you think right. Nick's the evil one? That's funny. So this is one of Nick's uh, pin dragon art. Pinups. Pinups. I'm not sure what you call it. Oh, I'm digging Orcs. the mace though. That's awesome. Yeah, I figured she would have that instead of. Oh, look at that! Oh gosh, yes. Nice. Ma mace and shield is a great combination. And I had that made figure. I don't know. That chick looks familiar to me. I'm seeing, yeah, a, feminine, I'm seeming a feminine Never theme seen here. Never seen her before. So, um, now that we've got that out of the way, it's good art, though, Nick. Well done. It's almost like you do this for a living or something. Um, well, what about you? Sort of. Sort of. What do you, uh, when you're not, you know, wrestling E.T. out of the uh, sky and stealing your spaceships? You did promise me a ride, though, and you, you didn't deliver yet. So uh, I got the paperwork in. I'm just waiting on approval from hire. <laughs> there we go. There we go. If uh, JR gets a ride first, I am going to be so mad. <laughs> baby, baby, I got you a Tron cycle. <laughs> he gets to ride along on a ship. You get to drive a ship. All right, so so that's true love right there, James. So, uh, Jana, what are you working on at the moment? Um, well, now I have a whole bunch of new ideas to work on, which I'm going <laughs> to put in the Not Right Now folder. Um, so I'm doing some write-ups for Nick for where he's going with his stories. And I am finishing Where the, we're going. <laughs> we're going. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm finishing the third in a trilogy called The War of the Lich, um, the whole necromantic magic kind of fun stuff. Um, I've got to get that one out because my mother threatened to disown me if I don't get it finished and she mends now. So that is now taking priority over other things because when your mother says, write the book, then you say, yes, mom. Yeah, so really. she, she brought you into the world. She can take you out, write the book. I've heard that before wants, from so. my mother. Yep. So, so I'm going to finish writing the book for her and then I'll move to the next thing. My and, mom uh, used that threat on me until I replied one day. I'm like, listen, mom, I came to this world kicking and screaming in someone else's blood. I'll go out the same way. Nice. I'm pretty sure I said that to Caden the other night. I was like, <laughs> I brought you into this world covered in my blood. I'll take you out the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so James, you've mentioned, obviously, you're writing The uh, Wizard Ascending, which is the King Arthur-inspired story, and uh, the Wargate one that you and I are doing with the uh, Egyptian theme. Are you working on anything else at the moment? I know you've got a game in the works, right? I do have a new way to role play that I'm very proud of. I did a fantasy version of it, and I'm going to actually uh, show it at a little convention next Sunday. Um, and I'm also writing a couple more short stories because you said I need to do two short story books. So I'm trying to fill up the second one. 
Okay. He had enough that it was made no sense to throw it in one when he could split it in two. He didn't have to compete with Brandon Sanderson on page length. Yeah. So I have 50,000 words on the second one, but you told me I have to be up to 100. Yep. So you're working on more short stories. You got talent. with. Uh, we actually ran into a problem. My mom was doing the editing, and then she forgot she was supposed to edit because she kept getting sucked in. There was a specific story about a dwarf I heard about at least a dozen times because she must have read it over and over again because she liked it so much. Isn't that an amazing compliment? Oh, my goodness. It, really, when the editor forgets to edit, that is a good thing. Yeah, fed my <laughs> ego, I'll tell you. Yeah, that, um, that's always a good thing. You know, everybody needs a pat on the back every now and then. Um, and since what I'm working on, I'm also working on with James. I will, uh, Nick, what are you writing? I know you just finished Bengali 3. Bengali 3, yeah, that's done. Um, I'm working on uh, Corvin Sparrow. That's our female dynamic duo about a... Uh, an ancient society of watchers. Guess what they do? Um, oh, they're so, um, they are the, I don't know, the, the guardians of all collected human history and knowledge. So everything from nuclear weapons to gods living underneath the earth waiting to return to aliens among us. So I'm um, excited about that. I'm not writing it. Um, I'm drawing it. Uh, the next thing I'm writing, I'm going to... Well, I'm collaborating with Jenna, and I just now enticed Terry here to join the set of comic books. <laughs> All so. right. So I, I've heard the way you make a, a little bit of money in comic books is to start off with a lot of bit of money. <laughs> uh, it's a hard business. Oh, yeah. I was uh, Forbes Fortune 500, you know, top your top 30 at 30. And then I started doing comic books, and uh, I have to pole dance on the weekends to make ends meet. <laughs> wow. So so have we convinced you to try your hand at writing writing yet, Stabby? Dude, that would not make any sense. The best thing you can do is write something and have me edit it because I can read a story and be like, hey, this does not make sense. But you want me to write a story? You're asking for trouble. Most of those words won't make sense. <laughs> I will be constantly texting you going, hey, how do I spell this again? Yeah, <laughs> the last question will be, okay, so I'm thinking of this specific thing. It's kind of like this and kind of like this when you put them together. How do you, how do you say that word? And you'll be like, pasta? <laughs> <laughs> She so, gives you the ingredients, and I tell you the name of it. So, Do so I'm not. picturing like I'm picturing uh, like Stabby doing that to Nick while he's at work, and then that made me think of the scene that happened in Florida. Ironically, this guy gets pulled over, and his, he was talking. He was on a motorcycle, and he's talking to his his uh, girlfriend through the however the helmets connect. And she didn't believe he was getting pulled over because he was just late. So he had to be with some other girl. And so finally, he hands the cop the phone and says, "Please tell her you're pulling me over." And she just started yelling at the cop about how he wasn't real and this was just a cover. And he just handed the guy back his phone and he goes, drive slow. I'm not even giving you a ticket. Your night's going to suck already. And the cop released the dash cam because it was just so hilarious. I'm dyslexic. Oh. Having me write anything is not the way to go. I can read anything. And I'll tell you like where something needs to be fixed because I need it to, I need it to make sense, make it make sense. That's what but, an editor is going to hate her. Yeah. Like, like, it's make like it, it makes sense. sense sort of once I put the puzzle, the pieces together in the puzzle and it's amazing. I've but read, I've actually, like crazy. 
I've read a couple of Nick and a couple of his writers stuff. They, they're like, Hey, read this. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to say that planet name. That's <laughs> confusing me. There's too many X's in it. I don't know how to then say these people's names. He's very important. There's too many Y's in it. And where did these five guys come from? Cause they're having a conversation in the van, but all of a sudden five guys jump out of the back of the van and he didn't hear those five guys in the van. Like, where did these guys come from? Oh, she's talking about the speedster book. Yes. Not that you feel called out or anything. All no, right. It feels a little personal. So this is the part, dear, dear listener, <laughs> where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part. It's a collaborative process. And with that being said, oh, Stabby, you got one more thing to add? Nick, gird your loins. This might get painful. Coffee brand coffee. Oh, that is right. That is right. So uh, our other sponsor today, we're not going to show the video because we're running late at an hour and a half. Uh, our sponsor is Coffee Brand Coffee. So um, they have picked us up as an affiliate. If you like coffee and you like us and you want to support us by drinking coffee, click the link. and uh, Or when you order, the code is podcast grunts because we're creative like that. They also have tea, hot chocolates, uh, snacks, snacks, seasonal snacks. Uh, they have tumblers. Uh, Nick would show you his, but he left it at home. Um, and so they have all the cool things. And you help the show when you get your glorious coffee. And hold on. Let me pull this uh, this image up that I accidentally showed earlier. But uh, they have a new flavor of coffee coming out. Um, uh, they're having strawberries and cream. And since Stabby liked the blueberry so much. Oh, the blueberry cobbler. Wow! So, this looks like diabetes in a cup right here. Yeah, but uh, don't use strawberry, friends. That's the generic coffee brand coffee. Use podcast grunts. I really ought to figure out how to digitally edit their uh, their graphics so we can make it apply to us. But uh, yeah, so you help support the show. You help keep the lights on. Um, help hopefully get uh, Stabby a better microphone so she's not constantly echoing when Nick talks at the same time. So wow. I will. Well, that's why you guys got to mute, but see, if they buy the coffee, they can help get you a better setup, so it's not a problem. Yeah, give us money so we can better shit, I guess. I, I yeah. may Stop asking questions. I, I don't sound as smart when you want to know details. I don't know. All right? Yeah, my, my mic the is the problem. The details here. We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I kid. I kid. The real reason is they're just so close that it echoes. Um, but with that being said, Terry, how can listeners and viewers find you on the wild, wild interwebs? Don't break it. <laughs> I, I definitely will if you keep talking. <laughs> hey, quick, if we keep talking, she'll break it. Uh, I'm most commonly found on Facebook, uh, named Terry K. Job. Uh, I'm not a, there super long time, but, you know, I pop in every now and again. You can find me there. I exist. Oh, freaking standing. All right. What about you, Jenna? How can they find you on the wild, wild interwebs? As usual, links will be in the show notes. Yep. You can go to www.opalkingdompress.com. You can find me and all of the other versions of me in that same location. Or Jenna S. Brown writes anywhere on the internet. That's all me. If it's on Goodreads, if it's on Facebook, if it's on Twitter, if it's any place that is, that's me. Oh, freaking standing. All right. And last but not least, we got you, Mr. James M. Ward, legendary game designer and author extraordinaire. Okay. So I'm only on Facebook, but here's the deal. I already have 5,000 people and 
I had to say no more because trolls kept coming on my page and oh. saying awful things about my product that they hadn't even read. So I had to limit who could talk to me. So I guess you can't get a hold of me. Well, he has a, a author page on Amazon as well. That's uh, he doesn't. If, if he doesn't, we will fix that uh, in the near future because he certainly has enough products out there. Um, and when our new series launch, we are working on a website where you could find him as well. So we're going to bring James kicking and screaming into the digital age. He will skip the 20th century and jump right to the 21st. There we go. That'd be nice. Yeah, I got, got the years right. We're good. All right. And you can find us on all the things. We have our link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot e Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoot, the rumbles, the Twitters. We have an email address at Blasters and Blades podcast at gmail.com and a Facebook group, which is also linked to the Linktree. So I won't shout all that gobbledygook, but here's a, a pro tip. It's Blasters and Blades podcast because we're easy like that. Uh, Super and easy. Wait. <laughs> we're grunts, right? We do it the, the gruntastic way. Simple. Straight to the point. Simple. I go around an object and you could blow a hole straight through the middle. Yeah, exactly. That's what she said. Several later. All right. We have our website at anchor.fm slash blasters tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters tech and tech blades. Where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. As we've said before, these shows aren't free to produce and you're of effort to keep us on air is greatly appreciated. We will be getting a proper website soon. Nick has bought the domain name. Now he just needs a day off of work where he can sleep and then he'll make a website. What uh, are those? <laughs> I sleep? I don't know. <laughs> or you could support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast, and I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink until the java pours out of their ears. Don't drink it when it comes out that way. Just make another cup. Promise. You'll thank me later. And with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my insane co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. All right. I appreciate all of you guys for coming on and all of you guys for watching. It's been a great show. Thank you, James. Thank you, Jana. Thank you, Terry. Bye-bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Peace out, y'all. And we're out. <laughs>